KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington, it's the Northwest Now podcast. Each week, we take a closer look at the people and issues that affect all of us here in Western Washington. So sit back, relax, and join the conversation with your host, Tom Lason. Indigenous peoples have known about the power of psychedelics for eons. The U.S. Army experimented with LSD and other compounds. The counterculture used acid as a springboard into a new plane of consciousness. Today, though, we know more, and medicine, big pharma, and venture capitalists are all taking a hard look at the power of psychedelics. That's the discussion on this special Mind Matters edition of Northwest Now. Welcome to this Mind Matters edition of Northwest Now. We've got several of these shows planned in the coming months, all focusing on mental health. We're a long way from Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters' acid test and Timothy Leary, who told a generation to turn on, tune in, and drop out. These days, modern science better understands the brain, chemistry, and the effects of chemicals like LSD, MDMA, and psilocybin, which, by the way, is the chemical found in so-called magic mushrooms. New research indicates compounds like psilocybin can have major positive effects on PTSD, depression, trauma, and even the dread of dying. A mathematical model captures a normal brain's activity. In contrast, a brain under the influence of psilocybin reveals a dramatic increase in global communication. Thousands of new connections form, linking brain regions that don't normally talk to each other. One analogy I've used for how psychedelics work in the brain is this snow globe. When you pick up a snow globe, you know, the snow's settled at the bottom, it's sort of fixed, and then you pick it up, shake it, and things jiggle around and there's randomness and a kind of chaos, if you want, in the system. The user experiences this as an altered and heightened sense of awareness. But what causes this? Early in our functional brain imaging studies of psychedelics, scientists were finding that the default mode network was turning down or turning off during these experiences. And that was a really good place to start. But we began to then look one layer deeper. Why was the default mode network turning off? New research led neuroscientist Fred Barrett to investigate a region of the brain called the claustrum. The claustrum is a really thin sheet of gray matter in the brain tucked deep within each of the hemispheres of the brain. Recent animal models have shown that it is incredibly highly connected to just about every other region of the brain, understanding that the receptors targeted by psychedelic drugs are also really densely expressed in the claustrum. We began to wonder whether the claustrum may be at the center of psychedelic effects. Fred believes the claustrum's central location and shape suggest it regulates communication between the departments. When it's functioning normally, the claustrum is essentially acting like a switchboard. It's trying to help other brain regions figure out when to turn on and when to turn off. But when we experience a psychedelic drug, we believe that it's binding to specific receptors in the claustrum and somehow disrupting or disorganizing the claustrum. It's almost as if the switchboard walks away. 
What happens next is that we seem to observe a, a radical change in the way that brain regions talk to each other. And it may be within this context that we're experiencing learning and a possible even rewiring of the circuits that govern our behavior. And it may be that it's that radical reorganization that allows people to encounter new psychological insights that they hadn't encountered before. Fred thinks the Klostrom's sudden abdication of control may help explain why rigid behavior and thought patterns have a shot at resetting. It's almost like they've seen this like kind of grand menu within their mind that they weren't aware of, that this, this greater number of possibilities that they can explore. It took a while to recover. I was having headaches and muscle pains, but it was the best headache I'd ever had in my life <laughs> because it told me that the psilocybin was working. It was actually physically restructuring my brain, something that I never imagined could happen before. It's like uh, reprogramming the operating system of a computer. You're getting down to very basic code level changes. Far from energizing a new counterculture, psychedelics have attracted major funding from venture capitalists. Tom Shue's founder, Blake Mikoski, has pledged $100 million toward the effort. The VA, Johns Hopkins, Berkeley and the UW are just a few of the many institutions diving into this phenomena. Some people are now involved in acid tourism, taking trips overseas trying to achieve better states of mental health. It appears safe to say that this technology in one form or another is coming. Joining us now, Dr. Darren Smith from the UW Center for Novel Therapeutics. Dr. Smith, thanks so much for coming to Northwest Now. It's a pleasure to have you here. This is a funny question to ask you off the top, but um, how did you get into psychedelics? <laughs> you know, it, um, it, it revolved around my research, looking at uh, trying to find answers to racial, racial trauma, race-based trauma. So okay. individuals who were being shot by police and, and, and the sort of ensuing uh, um, widespread uh, potential of PTSD is what led me to this and trying to find ways to, to help mitigate the suffering of, of other of, of, of marginalized communities. That's what led me eventually into, into psychedelic. So what is your department's role in, in researching this and investigating it? And, and I would guess you have other disciplines, maybe even at the University of Washington, that are on a parallel track. Talk a little bit about what your, how that looks at the UW. So um, the Department of Psychiatry has really taken, taken this on and uh, really pushing the, the research efforts that are being made in the state of Washington. Um, my department, which is Department of Family Medicine, um, is also aboard uh, th this train as well because we recognize that in primary care, the vast majority of people who come in to be seen for mental illness is they're coming to pr their primary care providers. So trying to buttress up that, those services for folks who are suffering is what I'm trying to do in, in primary care, is in terms of making this available for primary care providers to use in clinic yeah, know, any given day. And it makes complete sense because that's where so much of the interface is between right. folks and their doctors Absolutely. is at that primary care Absolutely. level. And, and not, not to mention, Tom, there's a dearth of psychiatrists out there. There's yeah. a dearth of mental health workers to, to actually prescribe and do the work of, of medicine within the behavioral health sciences. So, yeah. you know, we need, to, we need all, all hands on deck. Yeah, but it, and if you can get, you know, a good percentage of those patients managed at the primary care level where everything's not referred, that opens up that resource for the, the psychiatrists and some of That's those right. folks who are in short That's supply. Right. Which means that we have to teach primary care providers 
to think differently about mental health, yeah. right? Maybe, maybe set aside a couple of exam rooms that are not traditional exam rooms, but look more like, you know, your home, mm -hmm. a den in your home. Comfortable, comfortable seats, doesn't look like a, a clinical setting. It's in, it's in, that, in that particular um, configuration, I think, that would make the biggest difference. If we can get primary care providers to, to realize that mental health is a significant part of their practice and retrofit their offices to meet the need of, you know, of doing psilocybin-assisted therapy, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that and what that would mean in, in, in practice. So when I ask you how big of a deal it is, I, I imagine when you go to a, a conference and it's you know, a Friday, Saturday conference, this used to maybe be the afternoon breakout you would attend in a, in a other small room with a few guys. Is this in the main hall now? Has this become a big thing? It is. This has been definitely the most exciting uh, you know, aspects of medicine, at least in, in terms of psychiatry, in 30 years. 25% um, of the population reportedly has mental health issues of one kind or another. And you gestured at this in terms of the interface with the general practitioner. Um, there are a lot of pharmaceuticals out there, and they have come a long way. Uh, the new molecules have changed a lot of lives. But if you're not on them, and they don't work for you, they don't tend to be very sticky. Um, are psychedelics and molecules and compounds like psilocybin possibly showing the potential to be sticky? Where it's, I don't want to use the word cure, because that's always dangerous. But it's, you're not maybe on it constantly, but you have some revelations, you have an experience that doesn't require you to be on 20 years of antidepressants. Right, right. Well, we know from research that taking medications, psilocybin-assisted therapies or um, uh, in MDMA therapies are only as good as the therapists that are working with their clients. So it's just not taking the, the, the pill and you have this sudden you know, mystical, magical experience and you're cured. But it really needs to be curated properly with a, with a licensed professional facilitator or therapist who's been, who've been trained to do this work. Um, doing journeys on your own, uh, people do those things, they've been doing them for, for decades and, and centuries here, I mean, really, truthfully. But under, under the rubric of the medical model, most of the studies that have been done that we were looking at, the studies that are showing such incredible yes. you know, efficacy, uh, are done in a, in a very controlled environment. So it's a, it's a tool as opposed to a, um, it's, it's a tool in a continuum of, of tools as opposed to some right. ma you know, magic mushroom, That's if right. you will. It's not, it's not magic. That's right. That's right. It's one more tool that we can deploy to help in the fight against mental illness. You talked about MDMA. Um, just on my little list here, mescaline, MDMA, LSD, psilocybin, some of those um, talk to folks a little bit about the differences in those compounds and the difference between a naturally occurring compound and a synthetic compound. And are those, are those related or do they act on the brain the same? What's the situation? There? Definitely. Um, the naturally occurring classic psychedelics you mentioned earlier with mescaline and some of the other compounds have a high affinity for serotonin, a serotonin 5-HTA receptor sites in the brain. Um, and the saturation of, of, of uh, serotonin that's made available from these medications is what's doing the mood altering, the, the mood changes that we're seeing in individuals who are using these compounds. Not to mention, um, one of the most exciting aspects of the, these compounds is in their ability to create new, um, 
neural circuits or new neural pathways that are generated as a result of taking it. And of course, being, and of course the, the condition is, is created inside the brain and the curated therapies, if you will, the talk sessions that go on with, with, with patients and clients who are doing this is where the, is where the magic happens. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the old aberrant uh, neural circuits that are causing some of the mood disorders that patients are ex experiencing, those get sort of um, pruned away uh, when under the influence of, of uh, psychedelic compounds. So this really has the potential to do some rewiring. You're not trading one habit for another necessarily, right. um, which is I think some of the social baggage we have to maybe get away from, but it's actually you're replacing good thoughts with bad thoughts, or, a, or a, that may be too simplistic, but... Um, it's certainly a part of it. Good yeah. thoughts with bad thoughts and good behaviors with aberrant behaviors. Yeah, but. yeah. And that's what, and I, that's so amazing to me that that kind of change is possible because the mental health needle is hard to move. It is. Yeah. People look normal, uh -huh. but what's happening underneath the hood is not, it's not <laughs> the horses aren't running very well, right? And so, yeah. and the medicines that we have today they're good medicines, they work pretty good, um, but they don't cure. Yes. They're not curative medicines. So once you've been diagnosed with something like depression or, or even recalcitrant d depression that won't go away, um, medicines don't seem to, to do much for, for patients. So, there are, so there's a lot, of, a lot of unnecessary suffering that, that's going on in the world. Um, we haven't had any new major breakthroughs with any uh, antidepressants in 30 years. Yeah. And so we need we need more tools and tool shit. Yeah, and we know more now, so now it's not an illicit drug. It's actually something we can investigate, understand the chemistry, under, understand the mechanism of efficacy, and, and leverage that. That's right. Let's talk about the moral ethical question, because I'm sure, I'm sure people watching this program, and we're talking about dropping acid or going on a shroom trip, are rolling their eyes and going, okay, yeah, great, I, I, get, I get what they're talking about. But but we also have no problem at all with, with popping um, synthetic drugs or things that are, are synthesized from natural products that are pharmaceuticals um, with, with no problem at all. Eat those like jelly beans. Now, granted, they go through um, approval and there's a scientific method behind them, and that's what's being proposed for this as well. So can we get over that moral barrier, the eye rolling, and some of the issues we have with that? I think so. I think. Uh, with some of the groundbreaking studies that have come out recently over the last couple of years, I know that, uh, you know, um, JAMA did a piece on this, uh, looking at this. I think the Journal of Nature, uh, which is, you know, premier journal, a scientific journal, both have done really uh, groundbreaking um, stories on, on uh, and studies looking at uh, the potential benefit of these substances. And so we know they're beneficial. We know they're efficacious. There's, and MAPS has spent and invested you know, millions of dollars into research efforts to, to, to uncover whether or not MDMA is safe and effective. And we know that it is safe and effective in individuals who are suffering from PTSD. What we don't know necessarily is the degree to which people of color experience psychedelics. Cause, because most of the studies that have been done, the, the large participant, uh, you know, volunteers have largely been white folks. Yeah. So we don't really have a good, good sense of how this is going to impact communities of color. I suspect um, uh, we'll find similar, you know, similar findings. Yeah. I mean, there's been some small naturalistic studies that have been done by some colleagues of mine um, that have noticed the same benefits. Right, so, and that's where you start talking about actual science, right. actual research right. methods, study design, and those things. That's why we're not just dropping acid and having a good experience. Exactly. You're looking across racial groups, across age groups, across um, medical histories, and some of those things to really try to get a feel for 
the reality and the efficacy and the safety of, of some of these compounds. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And the governor, the governor's office has really been at the forefront as well of pushing this because, uh, uh, as you know, the governor's office gave us $1.4 million to study uh, the effects of these entheogens on first responders and veterans and marginalized communities. So we've got support from the, from the legislators here in the state of Washington. Talk a little bit, I, you know, hopefully people will do a little reading on this, but the, the anecdotal stories that people have about life-changing experiences, losing the fear of death, dealing with childhood trauma that they no longer are persecuted by and dreaming about and those things. Talk a little bit about some of what you've seen and who can be helped by this. So the, so again, so there's, there's above ground and below ground. I'm gonna stay above ground, okay, in terms <laughs> okay. of what we know. So what we do know so far is the studies that have been done so far have looked at, MD, have, have looked at major depression disorder, PTSD. There's been some studies that have looked at alcohol yeah. use disorder. There's been some studies that have looked at even tobacco use, you know, cessation. So we know that these medicines and compounds work in very specific populations of people in which these, these, they've been studied. Beyond that, right, um, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't really have a sense of what this would look like if you're working, treating someone that has perhaps, uh, you know, a, um, a schizophrenia, right? Mm -hmm. And the general rule is that if, if, if people have, um, are suffering from diseases where they have a lot of um, mood instability, potential mood instability, where they might have be manic, for instance. Yep. This may not be the best choice for them because sometimes when you take drop acid or take uh, psilocybin, I, don't, I wouldn't know that, but from what I've heard, it can induce mania. You're on, you're on the record. I am. Yes. I'm on the record. <laughs> Just on the record. You're safe. That's but, well, I think what you're talking about from back in the day is you can have a bad trip. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you need to find that patient population. Like I said, we, this gets us back into the science piece of this, not back into, you know, turn on, tune in, and drop out, um, you know, even just though, dro drop an acid to explore yourself. Even though people are doing that, yeah. but, but, the, but the issue being that uh, the, the medicalized use of this is yes. what we're looking for. Yeah. So, and by the way, I'll just make one last point, Tom. The, um, the governor's office uh, has given us a mandate, I mentioned it earlier, but we're looking primarily for veterans, and we're looking for first responders, Folks who are out on the front lines, who are experiencing, have seen a lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Veterans and much more than what the average, I yeah. would argue, American would see. And having a hard time processing, processing it, and getting it out of there. And the, and the, the big key is the integration piece. Helping people when they're having these these horrible experiences, helping to integrate those experiences into something meaningful and useful. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the future of this is? Is, will we, is, is there a, a regimen for an heroic dose where you're in a couple times, and I hate to use the word cure again, but you, your issues are somewhat resolved, let's say that, or is this an ongoing dosage? Do you see both? What, what's your gut tell you about how, where we're heading with it? It depends on what you're, again, it depends on what study you're reading, what you're looking at. Um, there's not been a lot of good studies looking at microdosing. We don't really know what the optimal dose is. So some folks are, uh, um, we, t we had mentioned earlier, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Paul Stamets. Yeah. Paul Stamets is a, is a well-known name in the psychedelic world who has looked at this. He does a lot of mycology work. He's coming up with some, with some interesting, uh, important microdosing uh, provisions at his lab. But beyond that, we don't really know. We don't know if heroic doses are, are it or not. Most of the doses that folks are getting is somewhere between, you know, 
three grams, five grams, anything more than five grams is definitely considered, five grams of psilocybin is definitely considered a heroic dose. Right. I don't know if that's the sweet spot. The sweet spot is usually between two and three yeah. doses, uh, you know, uh, two and three uh, grams. So anything more than that might be, you know, a little bit untenable. And then you'll have to do some research about how many times proves to That's be right. most eff efficacious right. and what kind of counseling interface um, assists with that because you've got to be in the right space with the right people That's around right. you. That's right. um, from what I hear, trips can really um, depend on your mindset going in and the sense of security you have of being supported. So there, there's, a, there's a little bit of a pre-flight checklist you've got to go through too. That's right. That's right. And two things, the, hopefully, hopefully your listeners will, your, your viewers will understand, set and setting are the two most important components when you're thinking about uh, doing a medicalized journey. Right, so just that's why just hauling off and doing your own thing is can be dangerous and it can be a negative experience that's right. if you're not careful. Um, the other piece I wanna talk about on this, we talk about efficacy, is this could turn out, you know, if people have moral issues with it, well, hey, time out, it could turn out to be a huge money saver. If you think about the billions of dollars that are spent for long-term treatment, long-term dosages, long-term pharmaceuticals, I mean, what if it saved money? Is that possible? Well, most pharmaceutical companies are not in the business to save money. <laughs> well, make true. money, that's but yes, true. theoretically, you're right, yes. And one of, the, one of the ways I see this being very cost savings saving would be uh, in doing group sessions where you can defray the cost of, you know, across. Because right now, there's, there's, the federal government is definitely involved in this. Their hands are in it, but they're not completely in it yet because it's not legal. Right. There's been some discussions about it. There's some things happening. Um, there's currently a experimental CPT code that individuals are using who are doing psychotherapy. Who are doing psilocybin-based psychotherapy or or some other psychotherapy? They get the permit, right? And they can code that. They, they can code it if yeah. they're, if it's in the right setting. Now, they're, they're, the reimbursements of, of what I'm hearing, and this is, of course, this is, this is not anything that's this gospel truth, but what I'm hearing is that somewhere between $200 a session, uh, up to 10 sessions, okay. is what they're looking at reimbursing for services for psilocybin services when it eventually becomes illegal. Yeah. which is great. Yeah, which is great. A lot cheaper than some of the mm -hmm. traditional treatments Absolutely. and hospitalization Absolutely. and all the other things and the social costs that can go along with that as well. And and, and mental health is not like cardio, you know, um, um, you know, cardiothoracic surgery, or it's not like a family practice. It takes time to mm -hmm. get people to change. Uh, how they're seeing themselves, how they see themselves related to the world, how to change their, you know, how to change their brain for the good, for the for, for the good. It just takes time. Yeah, you know, it doesn't take one or two, you know, uh, you know, dosing sessions. Uh, uh, you know, most of the time, uh, it may take more. And the dosing sessions are not the most important things to, to be concerned about. It's what happens after the dosing sessions that are working most through it. The integration piece. What your experience was. Absolutely. What it means. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out. I realize you have no actual answer for this, but what does your gut tell you about what the future is? I think right now, Oregon and Colorado, there's limited legality. Everything else that's being done is clinical trials in, in scientific settings. But do you think we're 10 years away from this or 20 years? I mean, I, and I, what's, what's your gut say? Yeah. <laughs> Rub the crystal Rubbing ball. Rubbing my crystal ball. <laughs> right. So I think, I think what we're going to end up seeing is more and more states coming online, like Oregon, Colorado, Washington. I think we'll see other states that will eventually adopt these services. Um, where you may see some, some significant reticence would be probably in the southern states, I would imagine, with the lone exception being North Carolina. 
uh, who is already making provisions. They already have some money, grant monies out there to actually give out to people who want to study this in the state of North Carolina. So there's, I, I think that now that now that the genie's out of the bag, this is not going away. Right. So um, I do you think see a time that insurance will cover this? Yes. There's current. I mean, there's. I mentioned before the current right. CPT code. Um, right. So the, the the folks who put that out are the governing body who creates CPT codes. So it's the genie. The genie is is you know is out of the box. So I don't see this. Not I see this movement continuing. In our last thirty seconds here, it really sounds like I think for people who have family members or themselves suffering from serious PTSD, I mean this this really does. There is a nice piece of hope sitting yes. out there for yes. them. Thank you for saying that, Tom. Um, yes, for people who are really suffering, have no other options. Tried everything. Everything. Yeah. This might be that thing that might be helpful uh, in helping them to recover and, and to integrate in a healthy way. I would also add that if not this, then certainly ketamine, to try ketamine as well. Ketamine services are also quite effective depending on who you're seeing and the, and the, the most important thing, the therapist or the facilitator right. the training that they have. Right. Uh, so those are things to consider as well. And, and this emerging fairly broad palette of compounds that may be efficacious. Yes. Dr. Smith, thanks so much. Interesting conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having me, Tom. One of the reasons environmentalists talk so much about biodiversity is that many of the compounds we rely upon for human health come from the amazing chemistry lab that is nature right here on planet Earth. So get ready for a respectable form of dropping acid. It will come in a pill or a patch and someday insurance might even cover it. But the bottom line is that it's probably coming and the promise it holds for mental health may be truly remarkable.